there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded Thank you for coming. This is kind of a, a new idea that we are intentionally doing for the first time tonight. Uh, as you already know, we have released bonus episode number one, as well as our uh, Balm and Gilead episode three already. Uh, as we are saying this, we have not actually released those yet, but we will by the time you're listening to this. Um, but yes, a, a fun thing happened when we were recording episode three, and that was that we just kept talking. <laughs> and uh yeah so uh we we had this this neat idea for maybe a 20 minute segment that went on for an hour and then we had this main topic idea we thought was going to be about 45 minutes that went on for an hour and a half and we just it just kept going and uh by the time that we were finished we had a two and a half hour long behemoth on our hands and so we decided to split that up into two episodes and had kind of an awkward uh an awkward thing going there, but we decided you're welcome. We're, you're, uh, you are welcome. The show, I got to say you're, you're welcome. You know? Yeah. And, and, and actually, as I am saying this, Grant hasn't even heard the awkward part of it yet. Cause we haven't released it, but oh. he, he will by the time you've heard Ooh. this. And so anyway, we, we decided that, uh, from time to time, we will have topics that will come up that, uh, aren't going to necessarily be on script, but that are necessary for us to talk about. And and we decided uh, that it would be a good idea to leave ourselves room to be able to do that. And so here we have our bonus episodes. Um, the, the John Cooper quote kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, when we read that, we were like, man, we need to do that. But it, we didn't really have a good episode at the time to do that. And so we... As I said, try to do twenty minute segment, but well, and I think when we started down this path, when you're talking about something like worship that has been part of the church for, well, you know, more than a few years, um, probably since Genesis uh, one. You know, you know, yeah, that's it exactly. Um, since Genesis one, uh, I didn't expect there to be so much uh, news, shall we say, around. Yeah modern worship and that continually comes out. And so uh, I actually am kind of enjoying that we're uh, have kind of two tracks on this podcast. One is the uh, planned uh, number of episodes, but then there's these bonus episodes that we'll, we'll launch every now and then. Yeah. And so even though we 
just released our bonus episode number one. Uh, this episode is our first scheduled kind of bonus episode, and uh, we we have two very important uh, things that have happened in the last uh, couple weeks that we really do need to talk about. We don't have uh, our our next episode that we plan on recording. Our episode four is some song reviews, and this doesn't really fit with with that episode, but we we need to talk about this issue. And so uh, allowing ourselves to do that is definitely fair game. Um, but as you may have noticed, we, we didn't read a psalm at the beginning of this episode, and uh, we don't have it titled after a hymn. So it's going to be kind of a separate, uh, separate format. We hope that you can pick up on that pretty easily and, and understand what we're trying to do. Um, also, by the name of this episode, uh, Jesus is King, Beyonce is not. We, we kind of hope that you have a little bit of an idea of what we're going to talk about. Um, first thing uh, that I, I find just a beautifully amazing is that it really seems like Kanye is not trying to pull off some sort of marketing scheme to uh, pretend to be a believer to pull wool over our eyes for whatever reason, but it seems like he is legitimately converted. Uh, and it's surprising. It's shocking. It's uh, definitely within the character of God to do that. And I, for one, am, am excited. Yeah. And I, I got to mention, isn't it shocking when any of us comes to Christ? We yes. are dead in our sins. And uh, isn't it amazing that God would save even me? Right. Yeah. And, and who am I to, who am I to, to look at God and be like, you know, of course you saved me. No, no. (laughs) I mean, it's no, uh, I, you know, if, if I hadn't been saved, I, I, you know, I, I, I have it within me to be, uh, to be Adolf Hitler. I have it within me to, to be, you know, pre-salvation Kanye. I have it within me to be, you know, any, anything. We're just, we're evil by, uh, by nature, but God is good. And he saved even me. And, uh, and as it appears, he saved even Kanye. And and that's just something worth just celebrating. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, he's, Apparently, uh, I guess how, how the story goes, he's been doing this kind of Kanye church for a while now. Uh, I guess he started it, I guess as the timeline would go, he started it pre-salvation, but while he was interested in who Jesus was. Uh, and so his, you know, just his influence and his being able to basically do whatever he wants to do when he's interested in something, he kind of just explores it and had this Kanye church event where they would sing worship songs but not really preach or pray or do anything else but uh as he got closer as the spirit drew him further um he converted and it kind of became i guess more legitimate uh he got up and or he had been i guess discipled by some guys from john MacArthur's seminary and uh, he got up once and spoke uh, just kind of off the cuff and he was 
kind of rebuked, said, hey, you're not ordained. You shouldn't be doing that. And so instead of getting mad and saying, hey, I'm Kanye, you can't tell me what to do. He he said, you know, thank you for rebuking me. Why don't you speak next time? And so his mentor spoke next time and actually gave a fairly reformed kind of mini sermon to a bunch of, you know, socialites and famous people. And, and it's, it's just amazing the doors that God is opening through this. And, uh, and, uh, I guess as a, as a follow-up, uh, Kanye has released his first gospel album and he has said that he is not going to ever perform any of his older songs ever again. And it's very interesting world to live in. Absolutely. I mean, just listening to this album is so amazing. I mean, like, it's just, it's hard to describe how utterly amazing it is. And um, just, it's really good. You know, it's really good. And I hope you all will run out and listen to it. We'll have to link to it on our Spotify account or whatever. Yeah. There'll definitely be a link in the show notes to the, to the full album on Spotify. Um, I, for one, don't listen to much hip hop. Uh, I don't even listen to much Christian hip hop. Um, I've definitely heard some Lecrae, uh, just almost for the novelty of it. Uh, I would call myself a fan of Shylin, but I think most like diehard reformed people would consider themselves to be fans of Shylin, whether they listen to <laughs> Christian hip hop or not. But his stuff is, it's less art and it's more sermons to, to a beat. And I think that gets us intellectual guys kind of riled no matter what. Um, well, when somebody has two albums called Lyrical Theology <laughs> Part 1 and Part 2. Which I he mean, he did fail to release Part 3 because he was planting a church. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll work on that. So, you know, we'll, we'll call pri- him up. Priorities and all that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, I, I would consider myself to be uh, not necessarily a fan, but uh, I enjoyed listening to Beautiful Eulogy. Um and I think they're three white guys from Portland doing Christian hip hop. Uh, not that it matters, but uh, their stuff is really super good. And they actually did a song with Shylin on his newest album, which was also a really, really good song. And um, so that is my entire like background in in hip hop and in Christian hip hop. So listening through Jesus's uh, Jesus King, um, I, I felt like it sounded similar i mean it's from what i understand it is better than most music as far as production quality when i listen to it i don't i don't know what i'm listening to it's it's like uh if you give me three different glasses of red wine and say which one do you like the best i'll probably drink all three and say they all taste like wine even though they're all (laughs) you know i have no no palate as far as, as that goes um and so when I'm listening to it, it just, it sounds like hip hop. I'm not used to hip hop. I don't listen to a lot of it. It just, it sounds similar. And so you can jump on me and say whatever you want to about that. But well, all I was going to say is it's not just hip hop. I mean, uh, my wife was actually disappointed that it wasn't more hip hop, uh, <laughs> which I, you know, is really interesting. But uh, one of the things I really appreciated is the gospel sound to it. Um, yes. Oh yeah. I love gospel music uh at least the music 
Yeah. The tight harmonies, the way that songs are structured um, and his opening opening song every hour is just that. And it's just yeah. like, Ooh, yeah. So take a listen. I, I mean, that is uh, probably my favorite part of the album is that first song uh, right there. <laughs> you want to guess which song is my favorite? Uh, I, I gotta go with closed on Sunday. Clo- Clo- I, closed on Sunday is my favorite song. If you remember now, what I couldn't understand is like, why was everybody saying this song is totally about his love for Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Um, like, did they not read the words? They know. probably just heard the the, the I don't chorus, know. and we're like, probably. "Oh, this is totally oh, what it's, it's all about." No, um, man. Back when I was in Boston, there was a song mm. that came out, and uh, mm. I don't remember who it's by. I might look it up, put it in the show notes. But it got really big for like a few weeks, and the people that I hung out with all were like singing it and stuff. But it was a hip hop song called uh, "Handlebars." Um, and the kind of the chorus was, I can ride my bike with no handlebars. And, uh, and the song goes on, it gets really, really deep philosophically, but it kind of latches mm-hmm. onto this simple idea of riding your bike with no handlebars and then using that as kind of like this baseline to expand this idea of, you know, doing things kind of from outside the box. And that is exactly what this song is about. Uh, Close on Sundays. Yes, it's he says, you my Chick-fil-A, you my number one with the lemonade. And you think that this is a love song to Chick-fil-A, but it is not. It is a song about raising your family right to be Christians. And it is a song about holding your family close to you. Uh, keeping your daughters safe from the evil one, training your sons to avoid temptation. Um, and he uses Chick-fil-A because it's this cultural ideal. Uh, even mm-hmm. even the, the left looks at Chick-fil-A and they, and they scoff because of what they stand for, but specifically what they stand for on the topic of family and on marriage. The left doesn't like the idea of a nuclear family of one man, one woman, Um, going back to Genesis one and Genesis two, you know, we, we believe that that is what the foundation of marriage and family is. It's one man, one woman. And, um, he's using Chick-fil-A to get to that. Uh, and and it's just brilliant. It's just, it's so he takes a simple idea of Chick-fil-A and expands it out to be, you know, a, where he is now affirming one man, one woman, raising your children, your daughters and your sons up the correct way. It's, it, it's, it's just fascinating. And, and yes, I do work for Chick-fil-A. No, they are not paying me to say this. Um, and my views are my own, but I just, I just love the song. I love how he did that. I love how he took that cultural norm and, uh, and just, went so deep with it yeah so what i'm wondering is is this sort of like the 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 big reversal because we've talked a little bit about uh this before but growing up you know you listen to a secular song and you think it's all innocent but then it turns out to be about horrible horrible things kind of like the reversal of that for uh the secular world yeah. Where they think it's about this love song to Chick-fil-A, but actually it's a lot more than that. 
Yeah, I mean, and I would say that's <laughs> that's you know part of the art of writing a good song, um, and uh, you know to, that's that's just metaphor and simile is is what that is. But it's I, I do see oh, what absolutely I do see what you're saying about you know this idea of you know talking you know, using simple language to to mean something much much deeper, and the and in the secular world that can be very nefarious. Um, and, and I'm kicking myself cause I don't rem- remember the exact song or the exact line in the song, but, um, uh, it's probably in multiple songs, but there's one in particular where it uses this language of, you know, my, your love is swimming through my veins and how uh, that analogy, like that metaphor of talking, you know, on the surface, it seems like he's talking to a girl, but he's actually talking to heroin. Um, and so this this idea of, you know, your your love is, is coursing through my veins, uh, and a lot of times is talking about drugs. But this this idea of, of using a very simple analogy that, pe- that everyone in the culture is going to understand. You know, everyone knows yeah. what Chick-fil-A is, whether they for good or for bad. Um Chick-fil-A means something like when you think of Chick-fil-A, you think of something very different than when you think of McDonald's or even Popeye's, you know, you don't think of food, you think of morals. Um, and so, yeah, and he knew that, you know, he, he being previously on the left, um, or at least well within, well steeped in culture, uh, he knew what Chick-fil-A stood for before he was saved. And he immediately went there and, uh, I just, I, I liked that one a lot. Uh, so let's move on to our next topic here. Yeah. Uh, there's something, I was in New York this past week and there was an event, two events actually there uh, called the Beyonce Mass. Have you heard of this? I have heard of Beyonce Mass. I remember seeing a lot of videos on it last year when there was a church in San Francisco who kind of invented it. Where uh, else? Right. <laughs> um and Beyonce Mass is, and I don't know if they were actually like sponsored by Beyonce. I don't think they were. I don't think she no. had any input in what was going on. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know so. if she attended or anything. But, um, but yeah, Beyonce Mass, it's, uh, it is a place where you can go and not only worship Beyonce, but worship all that she stands for and not necessarily all that she intentionally stands for, but all that the culture rallies behind her in woman power and especially in, um, black woman power. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Not only that a church would host this, but that, uh, I don't know. It's it's like I don't even think Beyonce stands for all of that on on her own. Um, but it's these these churches have taken this idea of of minority empowerment, specifically women, specifically African American, and are worshiping the idea of the black woman. It's, it's very bizarre. So 
let's uh, start with what they claim for themselves. They claim uh, that it is called a womanist worship service. And that language may be unfamiliar to many in the audience, but they describe it as how black women find their voice, represent the image of God, and create spaces for liberation. Uh, so they talk about it. Uh, basically, they sing. There's a, about a five-minute video on their website if you want to check it out. And they sing Beyonce songs, and that is very exciting for everybody. They draw, uh, unsurprisingly, many, many people. And it was really started by two people, uh, this Reverend Yolanda Norton and a Sam Lundquist, who is a divinity student at San Francisco Theological Seminary, and I believe is in the in the PCUSA. Um, and then Yolanda Norton, Reverend Yolanda Norton, is also at San Francisco Theological Seminary, and from what I could piece together, it looks like she taught a class called something like the uh, theology of Beyonce or something like that. And she um, teaches this class and this uh, student of her, Sam Lundquist, was like, well, we should put together this, uh, this worship service using Beyonce as a voice really to to um, engender these uh, discussions and uh, these conversations about um, uh, about black women so I will say in they do not claim to worship Beyonce uh, they do not claim to deify Beyonce and they what they do claim however is that they use Beyonce's life, and I'm quoting here, the worship service uses Beyonce's life and music as a tool to engender positive, empowering conversations about black women. So uh, we take that at face value, and we begin to ask ourselves questions like, what does that mean then? In what way are you worshiping God? In what way is this Christian worship? Right. And honestly, those things are very difficult to answer. And I, I got to say, I was out in New York for work. I definitely did not have time to go to this service. And even if I did, I don't know if I, I, I don't know that I would. I, that would, I, I do not believe that they are from their website and from the videos and from the information that I could tell. This did not seem to be a service where Christ was lifted high, right. but that uh, it's coming from a whole different perspective, a critical theory perspective, uh, where uh, different ideologies are represented and def and glorified rather than Christ. Yeah. And uh, it, it is, it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. It's very, um, I would say this does not fit within the regulative principle of worship. If I had to be pressed on answering that question, I would say no, no, this does not fit within the, the regulative principle of worship. Um, I, I will have to confer with David McCookie just to make 100% sure. <laughs> 
you, you don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> I can guarantee you this is not falling into that. Um, what I find amazing is that they're more excited about uh, singing Beyonce songs in church than they are about uh, anything, at least from the video. I mean, that was yeah. that was like the highlight. This is why people came. And uh, the snippets of the sermon um, that are in that video really uh, are, are, are not seeking to lift up Christ. Uh, they're not seeking to point people towards Christ at all. They're not necessarily seeking to point people towards Beyonce either, I would right. say. But it's it, it's really to point people towards themselves. And that's where I, as a Christian, cannot get on board with that. Right. And, uh, and, and as I said earlier, like I don't even know that Beyonce would support this. I don't know that she wouldn't. Um, but, you know, it... it it almost it points to like the greater Beyonce, meaning, uh, you know, the idea of this, you know, black woman empowerment that is the embodiment of this quote unquote Beyonce great, like being who is out there that is not actually the one making the music. But it's a, uh, what this is. Uh, just bringing this back to the regular principle of worship, once you start to chink away at the regular principle of worship, this is the bottom of the slippery slope. And, uh, you know, there's different ways to interpret the regular principle of worship, and I don't interpret it the most strict way possible. Uh, the most strict way possible would really only allow for uh, psalmody exclusivity and uh, no musical instrumentations as for accompaniment and uh, and very few people land there uh, so are you on the slippery slope and that's the and that is the question am I on the slippery slope am I at the top of the slippery slope and this is the bottom of the slippery slope or is there kind of a plateau at the top and I'm just kind of on the edge of the plateau uh, while still also at the top. Uh, and that, and that's the question. And that's really what we as believers need to be asking. Uh, we need to be critically thinking through the regular principle of worship. We need to be asking questions like, why do I believe what I do about music and about worship practices? Mm -hmm. And when you don't ask those questions, when you just go along with what people are, have told you, and when you just go along, with um, even with what your with what your pastors are telling you, you know this is the end. Like this is the end of the line. Um, you know, back whenever I had my major cage stage moment uh, at the last Baptist church I ever was a member of, um, I, I, I mentioned in the in the first episode that I got pulled into the office with the pastor, the music minister, about how I said that oceans wasn't a good song and uh it's just putting it mildly one of the things that the worship leader said to me in this meeting was you need to just trust me like you need to just trust me that i'm going to do a good job at my job and you need to and you just need to drop it and i'd say that was that was one of the hardest things that was said to me and that was one of the things that was said to me 
that really opened my eyes to the situation where I wanted to get the heck out of Dodge is that anytime that a pastor tells you, just trust me, uh, that's bad news. And when your pastors take that stance of you need to just trust me and don't, don't consult the Bible on this. Don't, don't test what I'm saying. Don't test my spirit, uh, against what the scripture says, but just trust me. The bottom of that slippery slope is Beyonce mass. So real quick, Mm -hmm. I got to say this whole thing that you're talking about right now is one of the major reasons I was excited to do this podcast with you because I want to explore those questions. Absolutely. What is worship? I want to begin diving in uh, to, uh, we're no longer, we we talked about this in episode one, but we're no longer content really to go along with sort of a flimsy statement of faith that, you know, you see on many church websites these days. Right. Uh, that's very brief. It's very, uh, you want to dig deeper and you're like, what more is there? Because is this, you know, how do I begin answering some of those deeper questions of life? And as we get older, uh, you know, you, you also begin to question too, is my life glorifying God? Am I doing, uh, what God asks of me, uh, and challenging my own assumptions about uh, the Bible, and am I am I reading it in a way that it's consistent with reading the whole Bible? Yeah. Which brings me to the Beyonce Mass here, and I just want to call your attention. These are on their FAQs on their homepage. Uh, they have a site for this type of mass that you can bring to your church, seminary, or organization. Um, but it is a womanist worship service and womanism recognizes and celebrates the lives, beauty, culture, spirituality, and experiences of black women and is committed to the survival, well-being, and wholeness of all people. When you begin to say this is a womanist worship service, that tells you what you're worshiping. We're worshiping womanism. Yeah. We're not worshiping God anymore. Right. And so while I would disagree with people who say, oh, yeah, this is just worshiping Beyonce, I, I don't know that that's it. I, I, I'm taking them at their word there. I haven't been. But they are explicitly saying that they are worshiping womanism, right. um, which they define for us. And when you look into the origins of the Beyonce Mass, it was a chapel service developed by these students, uh, like I was describing earlier, but it came out of this class that this Reverend Yolanda Norton taught, which, and I'm I'm quoting here again, the class explored female-centric interpretations of the Bible and how scripture reflects black female identity. Uh, Right there. uh, This particular lens is the critical theory lens, which reads everything as a culture. Um, This was evident in a lot of criticisms of John MacArthur and Beth Moore, which I I don't know if you really want to talk about that. That's a little bit outside what we generally deal with it. But um, I'm not going to say any more about that. I'm just 
trying to say that one of the criticisms I read was all about culture. And this is a very common argument these days is that the Bible was written from a particular cultural perspective and that we need to use different cultural lenses for interpreting the Bible. Whereas a Christian looking at that would say, well, you know, I can see where there are, you know, different ways to read the Bible. You can have um, uh, different, these different cultural lenses, but rather than using a female centric interpretation of the Bible or a male centric interpretation of the Bible, a white, a black centric interpretation of the Bible, what the Bible says is that we should use a biblically centric interpretation of the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Let the Holy Spirit interpret the Bible. And that is where I would break with the critical theorists who claim that uh, that we all are reading the Bible through a particular lens. And they do say that because, again, from that particular viewpoint, they see Christianity as a backwards movement, right? Um, yeah. Where uh, we should be beyond this kind of a thing. And I could be getting a few things wrong, so write in and tell me. Um, but uh, I think it's very important to to show how Beyonce Mass comes from this critical theory uh, perspective of culture. Yeah, and uh, and I would I would even you know go as far as say you know you, you're talking about how people want to uh, use the culture as the lens to view the Bible. Uh, you know, we need to use the Bible as the lens to view culture. I mean, it's 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 backward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we have to we can only define and really understand our culture in light of the law and the gospel. Um, you know, most Christianity has impacted just about every culture out there. Um, you know, we, we talked before about in, in the deconversion, about how when people often deconvert from Christianity, they still want to hold on to like some of the stuff that doesn't really make sense for them to want to hold on to. Like, you should still be nice to your neighbors. You should still do this, these things. Those things only make sense. Uh, those things only really make sense in Christianity, but our culture still kind of wants to hold on to that. Like even in the, even in the left, you know, there's still like this idea of, you know, loving your neighbor to some extent, so long as your neighbor believes the same way you believe. Uh, right. As long as you come over to my epistemology, right. You can have a good, uh, you know, a good relationship, a good society. Yeah, and and so, um, you know, when we when we talk about culture, you know, and when we talk about the Bible, um, you know, it, it's it, it is important to be able to to define culture on you know biblical terms to be able to see where culture is going through the biblical lens, and um, and just to see how dangerous culture can be, or to see you know, which areas of culture are redeemable. Um, you know, and even, you know, kind of going back to the Kanye story, uh, I find it so interesting how, 
how influential Kanye is in our culture. Uh, even people who don't listen to hip hop music know who Kanye is. You know, people who, um, you know, people who don't, you know, follow like mu uh, much of the entertainment news still know who Kanye is. They know who the Kardashians are. You know that the, they're just so big in culture that uh, you know when Kanye has made these new statements of you know don't go after the culture go after christ um you know he's he's made these bold declarations i i, I kind of want to hear what kanye says about beyonce mass to be honest uh <laughs> it, it would that would be something very interesting probably be very different than when taylor swift won a grammy and he ran on stage drunk and said that beyonce should should have won but um yeah you know it's it is so, it's just so interesting how uh, important culture is in that regard. And it is so, I'm just so interested in seeing how God uses these current events, both Kanye and like this idea of the Beyonce mass, which is growing. It, there was one church that did it last year. There were at least two more in New York that publicly did it this year. Uh, so this idea of Beyonce mass is growing, but also, you know, God is redeeming people within the culture to now be outspoken for him as they once were against him. And it's just, it, it's interesting to see what, where God is going to do it. I'm, and I'm excited. So I want to go back to one thing real quick before we leave this too quickly. Sure. But one of the, criticisms that I could see coming up from this is like, okay, so you say we should use the Bible to interpret scripture, that we should, the Bible to interpret in, interpret the Bible, that we should be reliant upon the Holy Spirit to, to, to preach the word to us. But you say that, you know, there's this Westminster Confession of Faith, and that's what you're using to interpret the Bible. What would you say to that kind of criticism? Um. First and foremost, I would say I am still a new Presbyterian. Um, aren't we all? Aren't we all? Um, and so I don't have an incredibly well-formed uh, answer to this. What I can say is that if you have never read the Westminster Confession and or have never read the Bible, then you should read both before you make those kind of statements. Because while the Westminster Confession is not the Bible, does not claim to be the Bible, it uses the Bible heavily. I mean, just constantly is, is referencing the Bible. Anytime it makes a truth claim, it backs it up with Scripture. And so what the Westminster Confession of Faith is, essentially, is a uh, very well-researched uh, about-me page. And... Uh, it's, it's not a flimsy one like you're talking about. Most churches have. Uh, it is a very detailed, this is what we believe, and this is why, according to Scripture. And, uh, and they also, you know, most Presbyterian denominations don't require that their pastors believe all of it or affirm all of it. They do require any disagreements to be backed up with Scripture, um, but it's it's essentially it's it's a very comprehensive text on uh, you know this is 
why we believe what we believe based on scripture, based on our understanding of scripture. And, um, and I mean, it's very thorough and, you know, uh, there's, I mean, there's a few things in it that most people I think would disagree with, especially in regards to, uh, uh, to the Sabbath and to the images of, of Christ. Um, you know, there's varying degrees. Also, um, psalmody exclusivity and instrumentation and, and worship. You know, there, there's a lot of different things that a lot of people disagree with on the, but it's, you know, it, I'd say it's, it's not inerrant. It's not infallible. But it's very, very, very well researched and, and well backed up in scripture. I would agree with all of that, Brian. That's 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 it, how I would begin answering that question as well. I see the Westminster Confession and others like it not as ways to interpret scripture, but as faithful consideration about what scripture teaches uh, written in a concise way that brings the whole biblical perspective to the uh, to the fore right right so that was poorly stated maybe i should try again (laughs) (laughs) it's all right totally on board there but again that's something i i still wonder about too yeah, and uh, I mean, it's like you, you read systematic theology books, and each each book, you would hope that they have, you know, done a lot of the research, but, you know, each one, like there are, I'd say that there are primary issues in theology that we need to all be on board with. There are some secondary issues of theology that cause major uh, denominational barriers, but that most people within the faith would agree this isn't important. Like this isn't like worth dying on. Uh, that would be uh, like infant baptism versus uh, believers baptism only. Or, um, but then there's other issues that are so nuanced that I think most people would have trouble really explaining the difference between the two. I, and um, I know EFS is, is a major one and I don't I'm not even sure if I'm using the correct letters but the another yeah that's that's right yeah um I always think of it as the eternal subordination of the sun but I don't remember what EFS stands for that's that's where I stand on eternal functional subordination functional subordination yeah. yeah um and it's you know it's, it's the idea that some people believe that Jesus has always been as the second person of the Trinity has always been second place to the father has always been subordinate to the father. The father is the first, the son is the second, the spirit is the third, and there's a hierarchy. Other people believe that they're completely in unity with one another with no hierarchy that Jesus was only, you know, subordinate while he was on earth for those 33 years. And, uh, I, that's like, I don't even know. In his human nature. yeah, Yeah. I wouldn't even, consider that to be a tertiary that's probably auxiliary or even further down the line is it important that we understand i mean yes i think that it's something that we should the nicene creed would would say it's important yes the nicene creed would say it's important but it's also like you know the the people that get up to pray on sunday that that 
you know, pray, you know, to the Father, thank you for dying for us, and, you know, in your name I pray, amen. You know, mm-hmm. who, who mm-hmm. get persons of the Trinity, you know, messed up just a little bit, you know, those aren't things that are going to be held against us on the last day. You know, we don't need to understand every single nuance of theology in order to be saved. All we need to know is that we are sinners and that Christ died for us and that we need to place our faith in Christ as the, as you know, the one who died in our place. That's really all that we have to understand to be saved. Um, but it is these deeper, you know, even secondary issues um, that we need to be going after. If we don't go after the hard stuff, the bottom of the slippery slope is Beyonce mass. Right, which is exactly why I think I'm doing this podcast anyway, is to ask those kinds of questions yeah. and welcome you, the listener, along for the ride. For sure. Join us on Slack, slack.techreformation.com. And once you get there, look up the hashtag bomb-in-gilead and you will find our measly little conversation on it. So come and beef it up for us. That's right. We'll be there. We'll see you there. Yeah. Try not to make uh, David Latchett feel like he's the only one talking. (laughs) We love all of our listeners. All of them are are the best. Yes. Kind of like my children. (laughs) (laughs) So if you haven't yet, you need to go listen to the entire album of Jesus is King. Uh, You you need to... I would also recommend looking up some reviews of it just to kind of see what all the fuss is about. I I read exactly three reviews. One was by a, a secular website that had some really good things to say about it. One was uh, Shy Lin's take on it. I thought his was really good. And then um, Adam Ford actually had yeah. uh, some good things, some really good things to say about it as well. He's been following this as close as anybody uh, yeah. through his newsletter. All right. Well, with that, I do bid you all adieu. I don't have anything clever to say other than Jesus is King, Beyonce is not. There is a bomb in to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in the eye to heal the sin-sick soul. To never feel discouraged, for Jesus is your for listening to the Balm and Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, 
and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techcraftformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback, so rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.